Hello, we have a great show for you today. We're talking to Kate Margraff and Yael Averbush. Before we get to those magnificent interviews, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, which means you can buy stocks in companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as a dollar. And that's with no commission fees and no account minimums. So join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to totalsoccer.robinhood.com totalsoccer.robinhood.com. Remember, all investments involve risk. This is not investment advice. You wouldn't take investment advice from me, believe me. It's not a recommendation or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm recording this intro from my hotel room in Baltimore. Taylor and I are still here in Charm City for the United Soccer Coaches Convention. While here, we recorded two great interviews that we want to share with you. Up first on today's show is Kate Margraff. You might think you know Kate Margraff as the GM of the US Women's National Team, but her role is actually much wider than that. That's not even her job title. We get into exactly what she does day to day, how she hired Vlatko Andonovsky as US head coach, her relationship with Ernie Stewart, and plenty more. There's even a coherent explanation of the Federation's Chicago policy in there. You'll definitely want to listen. In the second half of today's show, Taylor interviews Yael Averbush. Most people will know Yael as a former pro and national team player. She's also the founder of Technifoot, a one-on-one training app, and the executive director of the NWSL Players Association. Yael talks about her career, the transition from college to pro, playing under the aforementioned Vlatko, playing in Russia, and more. But enough intro, on with the show. So we are here in Baltimore with... U.S. soccer head of women's football, Kate Margraff. She's laughing at her own job title. <laughs> I just get giddy. I can't help it. I'm so excited to meet you two. I listened to you guys before the World Cup in Russia and your team-by-team breakdown. And I thought it was incredible. It was oh, the best you. detail I'd ever heard. And that's how I became aware of you guys. And then now I have you downloaded on my podcast. So on my morning commutes uh, into Chicago, I always am listening to you guys. So, And then you guys did the Women's World Cup. And I totally, I think I direct messaged one of you. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm so excited you're doing this. Because you bring uh, a logical and a different way of looking at the game than I had heard. So I learned from you guys. And I still do. So, so I love should it. we just end it now? Like, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think we're not going to get any better than this. So <laughs> no, you're not. Just, I mean, you're and not. I mean not this interview. I mean the entire podcast. <laughs> like, let's just be done at this point. I'm good with that. So um, before we started recording, um, I asked you basically what your job title is. Because we've been calling you uh, U.S. Women's National Team <laughs> GM, right? And you said, no, I'm head of women's football. So yes. essentially, I'd like to know what's the difference and what really is, right. what really is your job title and what does it involve? With the women... So it's gender specific and it's gender neutral on how U.S. soccer approaches everything. The gender specificity comes into play in the fact that the women's game is more domestic 
based in terms of the players and where they're anchored and where their development pathways are created and going relative to the men's group. So we're saying so, it's like American colleges, NWSL. That is a huge part of our pathway, yeah. right? Um, and then the club system within it. On the men's side, you know, you have it is more frequent that players are going overseas. It is yeah. more frequent that players are playing overseas. Brian McBride, the recently hired men's GM, he is going to have a huge amount of his job is going to be international. That ability and that time capacity to connect on a more domestic basis with the stakeholders in development is not going to be possible for him. So he is GM of the men's team. I, yes, I'm GM of the women's team that involves hiring of the coach, hiring of the staff, making well, sure the performance. Yeah. And then it's also the youth teams, which is really exciting to me because that's a little bit more manageable on the women's side than on the men's side, like I said. So the women's side, I've been able to hire one coach, finalize a contract with another coach, been a longtime employee of ours, uh, Tracy Kevin. So that's exciting from a strategic alignment point for me. So we wanted to ask you about the people you've been hiring and how that's been going, but I suppose we should first ask about your hiring specifically. <laughs> what was that process like? How early on were you contacted and oh, what was goodness. the interview process like yeah, for you? Yeah, because in my mind, you were woke up winner, yeah. media personality. Yeah, what does she do? And suddenly executive. Like, right? what? There's a huge jump there. I, I mean, we were we were thrilled, uh, genuinely, because because we'd enjoyed your work. We'd enjoyed oh, your, yeah. enjoyed the your analysis. Yes. Yeah, I want, and I want to I return that favor because I listen to you and Sebi do your podcast uh. and you all broke stuff down in a very intelligent, specific way that sort of made me feel threatened a little bit. Like they're coming after our bread and butter. I don't know See, how I, I feel I felt about the this. same way, but it wasn't from a jealousy standpoint, but I was like, dang, I didn't see it that way. I missed that. And it would inform my next podcast. So we definitely were intellectual we property, right. like stealing there. Uh, but, but, but we yes. were really impressed by your analysis and, and like everything you did there. So when, you, sure. when that announcement was made, we were pretty excited about it. But with that in mind, like we didn't really know what that position was going to entail sure. and what it was going to mean for you. So... I'm wondering how that process went. Right. So I had a very good situation with ESPN. I love working for my former employer. And I looked at the job description when it came out for general manager of the U.S. Women's National Team, because originally that's what the job description Mm was. Um, And it, it said coaching at a high level, pro. And I was like, well, that's not me. Every other box... I checked mm-hmm. um, whether, I mean, I ran my own camp. I did everything. So I understood the business side. I was a science business major. So I have a business background. So spreadsheets, I understand. I, I understood all that stuff from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. I went back to school and I got two masters, one in um, kinesiology. So the sports psychology, understanding culture, people, place, uh, the impediments that people put in their way. And my research was published uh, in an academic journal. Um, and then I wanted to figure out how to help motivate people that maybe don't have perform high performance for them, which mm-hmm. ended up getting a second master's in educational psychology. Just figure- as you do. You just ended <laughs> up doing it. <laughs> While I was still coaching. So one the sidebar, one of the players I got to announce today in the draft was one of my players. I coached her for two years. So which I was, one was that? Who's that? Uh, Kate Delfalva. She's going to the Royals. She nice. was the 12th pick in the second round, I think. So I was super excited from that. But coaching didn't hold it for me. I, I just liked learning about the game. and mm-hmm. I liked learning how people interpret pressure so did you have to make the pitch that okay i don't have this high level coaching but i've got two master's degrees no so it had been a couple months since they posted the position and cindy parlo took over cone and she gave me a call and i had been helping them like calling people like hey would you be interested hey would you be interested and then she's like what about you and i started laughing very similar to when you introduced me i'm like cindy i i've never coached at this level are you kidding me she's like yeah but you know what it takes and i it was like, eh. but it was one of those things because I was terrified. So whenever I'm scared, I know I should do it. Yeah. So I was like, I-, I have to at least try. So all of a sudden that was in February. 
Um, I had to put together, I did a couple interviews on the phone, and then a couple of us got flown in April to do this huge project. So, five hour interview in April with Asher Mendelssohn and Nico Romain and Cindy Parlocone. And there were a couple candidates. And then in June, I found out that I was the finalist. But I didn't think that any of the finalists should join the team because that would be disruptive. Right. Or even see it from afar because also I had my ESPN commitment. So, you know, I called my boss, Amy, <laughs> and I was like, Amy, I think I'm a finalist. This is, she's like, you got to go for it, Kate. Like, um, so, yeah. I, so that's kind of how it happened. And then after they won, I got an offer, and then it took a couple weeks just going back and forth a little bit. So, yeah, and it turned during that point to head of women's football because they realized that without a technical director and with trying to build alignment that this might be better because there's an ambassadorial responsibility tied to that. So when a coach can't go, it's who is this? Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. whether it's at the senior level or at the youth levels, having that person be that spokesperson with my TV background. I see made sense so that's right. kind of how one of the many facets of my job that i have to so doing the nwsl draft i actually don't like doing that stuff yeah, you, you did the second round yeah pitch, right? i i like being behind the scenes or i like joking like this but to yeah. be out in center it, it's not it's an energy drain not an energy give for me so uh, okay. you were very you we were noticing you were very to the point with all of your announcements in a good way you didn't <laughs> drag it out you're just like here's the pick and I'm out. Yeah. And that was it. Tells you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Here's, a, here's the thing I always want to know. Um, okay, so when you when you get the job, literally what do you do on your first day? You, know, you sit down, I imagine you have an office, you sit down, like, what's the first thing that you do? <laughs> first thing that I do is I met everybody. Just like a go around being introduced yes, to everybody? Yes, you introduce yeah. to everybody. You pretend to eat, but you're so nervous you don't eat <laughs> at all the you know, meals that everyone takes you to. And then you just, like, get barraged with, with the massive scope of what you just endeavored into. Okay. And that definitely was drinking from a fire hose. I didn't expect when I was going for the job to have Jill leave. Um, oh, right. I didn't but when that. I accepted it, I knew Jill was leaving because that was in August. Yeah. Uh, so I knew that was my first job. So in a way, I went from, like, you know, the politicians going on a listening tour I was going to do that and see, okay, what's working? Where, where are areas we can improve, right? Um, where we can keep pushing the needle. And uh, that, my job became much more focused, even though I have that title where I oversee everything. And as I told my youth coaches that we did have at time, like, listen, I, you are very important to me. Keep doing what you're doing. I just need to hire a head coach first. Right, because it's the big high-profile thing, right? And, it, it, and it's a top-down approach. Yeah. Right. It is. How does Vladko want to play? How does he want the six to play? How? Because we want to build alignment. You do need that senior, senior driven, I would say, manifesto. Yeah. But in, he's collaborative with the youth coaches, with what we actually have. So this is the thing I've always wondered about. Um, so we want to ask about uh, Laura Harvey mm-hmm. being the U20 coach. It's such a high profile hire. But yeah. what, I, what, I, what I'm really interested in is how <laughs> does that get communicated down? Like, do, do you have to say to Laura Harvey, like, I know you have certain things that you like to do, but this is what Vlatko wants. And we are still building that because we haven't been in the same office. So U.S. soccer is getting a lot of grief about this, right, about not being in Chicago. And we're asking people to move to Chicago. Yeah. Totally understand that. I have to say, though, I've been in the office where, and I use this story all the time, but our head of talent ID is Morel Van Robick. And I can't say it right, right, because she's got the interesting last name with the... Um, and... That's the official name. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then Vladko and Milan, our assistant coach, Ivanovic, and we're arguing about a player and whether or not we should bring him in the identification camp. And her role in college isn't something that we would foresee her. 
But was she doing her job, or is that who she is as a player? And we ended up bringing her in, and she played the role we wanted her to play, and we have her on our provisional roster of 50 players for the Olympics now. Can you say who it is? No, but you can probably figure that out. (laughs) So While Daryl tries to figure that out, the Chicago policy has been a thing that a lot of people have talked about. Would you argue that that's one of the strengths of it, that you can kind of have everybody together to have those types of conversations to move everything forward? I think there's never a black and white answer to change. Mm -hmm. And there are pluses and minuses when you change what people are used to doing. I would say I've seen the benefits. And I'm more of an administrator at heart, to be honest. I love documents and Excel spreadsheets and figuring out everything. Like, I'm so... It's almost like you have two masters. It's so so surprising. (laughs) But it's... It's, I've seen the benefits of it mm-hmm. firsthand, but I also understand people saying that. Mm-hmm. But until you're in that room, and I can get more done talking to five departments. For example, we need to do the Nike jersey mm-hmm. launch. That's an eight-hour day out of my players' lives to get that scheduled, have them fly in early, and it doesn't disrupt training. So it's just an example, a very tiny example. I was able to sit with marketing to figure out from sponsorship and branding when we could do it within our schedule and how do we communicate it with our sponsorship partners. All that stuff would have been 500 emails and taken a week and a half to sort out. Okay. That makes that's sense. That's the yeah. best defense I've heard of the Chicago But that's the administrative. Policy. So from a yeah. coaching perspective, we always talk about alignment and we don't want the 15s doing something different, 16s, different 17s. This is now facilitating those conversations to happen in an organic way and therefore a more honest way and then the little side ancillary details that are so important will come up because they're time for them to be generated if that makes sense yeah i have a question for you like like kind of on a personal level when you, like you're like, like i'm a leo yeah, right? Big deal. i'm a leo Virgo. here we go uh but with hiring vlatko like you're you're replacing a coach who has now won the world cup like mm. twice i mean this is like back to back that's an amazing thing how for me I know the way I work with stuff is that I would think I made a decision and then I would kind of get nervous and second guess and be like, there's a lot on the line and worry about it. Are you that type or are you more so like, I've made my decision, this is like who it should be and I back myself accordingly? I always get somatically, like my body responds and my brain freaks out mm-hmm. right when it happens. And then after that, then I just move forward, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So my initial response is always like, <gasps> and then I give myself 10 minutes yeah. or whatever I need and then I focus, mm-hmm. right? Like okay, how are we going to solve this? Or how are we going to do this? And then I go about building my spreadsheets and my tactics and my process board, right? And that's exactly what I had a talent acquisition strategy for Vladco. And I went through different, and I talk about like data measures and triangulation, all that stuff. But that's the benefit of coming from an academic background is that it helps you learn besides being a lawyer or being someone that's been a consultant. You take away the emotion because you're trained to learn how to do that so you can look at things a little bit more logically. So I'm more comfortable in that research Mm -hmm. I'm very comfortable when I can make an informed opinion. Mm-hmm. And then if I made a wrong choice, then that's on me. But I know I couldn't have made a better choice. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's been off to a pretty solid start so far. And I would say, if, at least from my... popular as well, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm aware, like, like, maybe I'm coming off as like a little cheerleader here, but I think you've done a very good job. And I think the U.S. Women's Program has done a very good job <laughs> uh, in the last few years, uh, certainly. But, like, when you are, like taking over when you're bringing in Vlatko now like how much involvement do you have in the way the program is now operating or is it mostly just sort of I've hired you you go do your job now and coach this team 
I look at it as an advisory type mm-hmm. role. Is I'm involved. I'm in, responsible for team culture mm-hmm. in the sense of people, process, environment. I have to make sure I, I enable the people that make the decisions on the environment have everything that they need. And then I ask them questions like, why are you doing that way? Why are you doing that way? Because you have to empower people to do their jobs. And it's, they know I'm not micromanaging them, but they also know that I'm like, you make the decision, what would you do? Uh, and then it's the people. It's like, you know, we have to make an Olympic roster today and tomorrow it gets announced. And it's, I'm, you know, it comes down to a certain number of players and then I start asking the questions. Yeah. And it's those questions. And in all honesty, where there's a lot of alignment in how we think, and that's one thing that surprised him and myself is how much we think alike. But at the same time, I'm like, why? 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 And, you know, there is a call sometimes I have to make. Mm-hmm. And today I made a call where I was like, we're going this way. Um, on one player that we were going back and forth about in a sense of what's best for her, if that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. How, um, how involved is Ernie Stewart in the women's side of the game? He has been incredible for me as a source of support and resource. Uh, I can go to him, especially in the hiring process, being like, what were your best practices? And I think uh, I did a lot of what Ernie did, to be honest. And I talked about it in the press conference, so you guys knew more about it. But it was a lot of information gathering. It was a lot of conversations. And then it was, how, how do we do this? Like, what's the best path path forward he's available 24 7 where i can call him um and he makes his opinions known but he also lets me make the decision but also lets me know it's on me that i made that decision does he have opinions about like ndbsl coaches and players that should be called up for the women's team because i'm just imagining and it's not a slight on him that he's just like more familiar with the men's game and much less familiar with the women's game i think now that his role is changing and now that he did hire a men's gm he will now have time to be that but i can tell you when he goes to our games he's like that 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 like he'll tell me who the qualities of how we're playing and what he appreciates. Yeah. And is I he can, like, oh, Tobin Heath can dribble. <laughs> you know what he really watches more than anything is the technique of right. how people distribute passes and how they receive the ball. Like he, That's something that I notice he says a lot. Like, oh, look at that, because it means that they're anticipating, their body shape is correct. It means they got all the, like, the small steps that a lot of people forget about yeah. to coach. They already have that. Ooh, this is the nerdy stuff that all three people sitting here like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the stuff he says, I'm like, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, he's been an incredible source of support for me and I think he has a vision and I think he's he's very comfortable just like I do with Vladko is asking the questions and he's getting you to fully vet it in your own head and he's helping you do that and in, informing you on what he also thinks as well and so, we, we were going to ask about Laura Harvey right we um, were yeah, yeah I almost <laughs> forgot so how did you persuade Laura Harvey to coach a U20 team Wow, that one, I had her coming in. So she was one of the candidates, um, and it was about fit in that moment for, you know, I looked at the head to senior job as three tiers. You need to manage the qualifying for the Olympics is um, the first test. Second test, going doing what nobody else has done, win back-to-back, World Cup and Olympics. Yeah. Second. And the third test is a new cycle. How are you going to manage that? That's, that's really hard to find a coach that can do all three. The win now and develop later mm-hmm. at the same time, too. Uh, and with Laura, the, at that time, the right fit was Vladko for me. But I, Laura, it was not an easy decision at all. And uh, Laura and I had a conversation. It was a hard conversation for both of us. But it was one out of respect. And I have incredible respect for her. She's a talented coach. And thankfully, that conversation went in a direction that was positive. And then it was like, I would still love for you to be involved. And so originally, I'd staffed her with this 18 tournament that we have, an international tournament coming up at the end of the month, and she's going to be the head coach of that because it didn't conflict with her A license or a pro license, and it didn't conflict with the NWSL season starting in March. 
And then Mark Carr left on December 20th at 5 p.m. I got a phone call. And I was like, (laughs) okay. And so December 22nd, I'm on the phone with Laura just saying, hey, for two months, can you help me with this team? Oh, I see. And I'd also made some other calls. Like I had seen, like, can I have other assistants join and promote with it? Like trying to figure it out because in the end. um, Oh, because qualifying is happening. February. It was supposed to be February 15th. Um, it got moved to February 22nd. So we got, thankfully, we got an- another extra week to prepare. Right. So, so this, I'm happy. That's why the December, late December call of yeah. car leaving was not yes. ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, and good for Mark. He's got an incredible new job. I'm excited for him. He did great things for our program. And it's very much like, thank you very much. Okay, I don't mean to be abrupt and short. I just need to solve this problem now. Okay. <laughs> so I had the 10 minute like, oh gosh, okay. And then now it's like, how can I solve this? So was doing a bunch of different logic models, putting people together, putting puzzles together. And then I just asked Laura, would you take this team for two months? And then we started talking and talking and talking. And I was like, can I talk to your general manager to see if this is even a possibility? And she's like, yes, talk to my general manager. And then we continue this conversation. And that's kind of how it happened. So did talk she to say Jim. Why? why? Why did she want to leave she wants to coaching get back. pro team for coaching She loved coaching Utah. Tons of resources. Very supportive of her. Loves loves Stephanie. That was a GM. Loves Deloitte. Um, has everything she needs. It was the desire to get back into the international game. Okay. And she viewed that eventually she wants to be in a certain spot. And this was an opportunity she didn't want to pass up. And All right. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about kind of some of your conversations with Vladko. Were, were you saying when you when he was kind of selecting some of the players that you were you were helping make some of those decisions? No, I asked questions. Okay, gotcha. and then from there, it's you know if there's if there's a decision that needs to be made and you want to know who's responsible for it, it will be me. Nice. And was that a thing that like he knew going in? Was it sort of like? Like, I'm probably going to be asking you lots of questions and maybe asking you why you're doing the things you're doing. I guess that's kind of just your job, isn't it? If you're in charge of the women's side of the game, that's probably what you're going to be doing. Well, I had the benefit of talking to a couple of GMs. Mm-hmm. Um, one, a Premier League GM, spent some time with me on how he worked with his unbelievable manager. Uh, you can probably figure out who that is. Uh, and then two GMs of Major League Baseball. And they all have different relationships. And I think, I think I'm more like the Premier League GM in terms of the interaction. There's one that's totally hands-off. And there's one that's basically a marriage with the head coach that he decides who plays. He decides how much with that head coach. And there's one that's like, what do you need? This is what I think you need. What about this player coming in? How did it work with this? Have you thought about changing information if this happens? Like, that's what I'm doing. And then I'm trying to give him, like, whatever, you know, just answering the questions for him and making it so all he has to worry about is coaching. Gotcha. So it sounds like there's not so much, like, suggestions you're giving him as just questions to make sure that everything has been thought through properly. Mm -hmm. And then if he hasn't, then there is suggestions. We'll be like, what about right. this? Like, well, this is the reality of this situation. So yeah. maybe we need to follow this path for now. But What about bringing Margraf out of retirement? <laughs> I, was, I should have retired five years too earlier than I did. I was, I was, nobody coming back from twins should be playing at that level ever. So you've, you've, you've hired the head coach. You've hired some of the youth coaches or uh, youth national team coaches. What would you say is the area of need or the, like, the primary focus for you coming up, aside from qualifying, aside from like, positions that have already been filled? Right. It's to, so it's working with our youth national team coordinators, Patrick and John, and we're building out you know, a certain number of camps for each team mm-hmm. to make sure there are certain teams that haven't had camps in a couple years that now at every age group we're having camps so we can develop the pipeline. Uh, 
building that alignment piece from a methodology standpoint. Like, how do we really want our 15s to be built in a way that they turn to 16s and then 17s? Like, now we have an opportunity to do that now that everyone's going to be in the same spot. I've given, we're done with qualifying. We have She Believes through March. Um, basically, March and April. And then the 17s get back mid-April. I'm like, April and May, we are sitting in a room and we are figuring this out as a, as a team, as a women's side team. And gender neutral when need be, so what works with the men as well, and then gender specific when we have to be, which is college, which is a huge piece for us. Yeah, so that makes sense. And then uh, an easy question, I feel like pretty much a layup. Just real quick, can you tell us the 18 right. player roster for the Olympics? If That's you don't mind? so funny. It's no? not, but I can tell you it's not 18. It's 20. It's, well, the qualifying roster is 20. Uh, okay, there we go. And it has to be three keepers. Oh, no, I want the official Olympic roster. You want I the want official the one? Yeah, just, if that's no, no I will never because we first have to qualify. <laughs> we first. I've been on that field when Canada does not qualify, and then Christine Sinclair is walking past me in tears. I will never forget that experience. Do you feel personally responsible for making no, Christine Sinclair cry? Is that what you're saying to me? Because I didn't play against them, but they lost to Mexico. And I just will always remember. It was an upset. So I always remember that. And Canada was superior. Actually, so. that, I mean this sincerely. With how successful the program has been, do you still have those moments yes. of, of nervousness about qualifying? I do. I do. Because we're coming, and this is my concern, is, and a concern that every coach has, is you're coming into January. Certain people do workouts. Certain people don't. Mm-hmm. Right? Certain people need a longer break. Certain people are injured. It, they just won a World Cup. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why no team has won a World Cup and Olympics back-to-back. The amount of accumulated fatigue that happens towards an end of a cycle, especially mm-hmm. after you've won, how do you maintain hunger and health? Yeah. How, are you asking me? That's just I, my question, I, right? I, I, In general. I, I'm, not, I'm not the head. Yeah. Of, I'm not the GM. Yeah. I don't know these things. So that's what we just had a camp, and I can tell you it was really hard. It was preseason. Right? right? We, it was preseason. And mm-hmm. so we have you know, people with some knocks, and we're going into qualifying. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to... What's Figure like, it out. What is the severity of knock that you would like not feel comfortable with? Anything ligament. Okay. But if, if we do an MRI and someone has a soft tissue injury, but the MRI shows nothing major, then... All right. Daryl, any injury-specific questions from you? I have no injury-specific questions. We've, ta- we've taken up a lot of, of Kate's time, yeah. and obviously it's, it's quite valuable. Yeah, and I she agrees. You've got places to be, so yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. We, we really, really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Kate Margraff for being such a gracious guest. Up next, we have Taylor Rockwell interviewing Yale Averbush. But first, today's show is sponsored by Away. You know about Away because they've advertised before. Um, Away makes magnificent luggage for modern travellers. We use their suitcases. Specifically, I use their suitcase. Um, I've mentioned before that on my, my monthly trips to Boston, I take it with me. I have it here with me in Baltimore. We did have a listener on Reddit who questioned whether or not I actually was using the Away suitcase when I said it was. So best I can do is put the suitcase next to me so you can hear it. Um, so here's the zip. That's the zip of the Away luggage suitcase. I hope you believe me. Um, The suitcase is thoughtfully designed and super durable. A lot of that is because of the exterior shell, which genuinely is nice and lightweight, but also really tough and durable. Um, Best I could do is maybe knock it so you can hear it. That was the sound of the Away suitcase. Uh, the away luggage has the 360-degree wheels, um, and I, I've seen wheels fall off of other suitcases or, you know, the plastic brakes or whatever. Not so with the away suitcase. The away wheels have been absolutely magnificent, absolutely magnificent. And if anything does go wrong, away will fix or replace your suitcase as soon as possible if, if anything ever 
breaks. So that means you never have to worry about your luggage again. What other features do I like? Um, they've got the uh, the internal bag within the suitcase for your dirty laundry. That is a huge problem solver for me because I never knew what to do with my dirty laundry. Two extra bits of good news about Away. There's a 100-day trial. So you take the product out on the road, you can live with it, travel with it, get lost with it for 100 days. And if you decide it's not for you, you can return it for a full refund during that period the only the only exception to that is if you've had it personalized because obviously no one else wants your personalized luggage but non-personalized luggage you can trial for 100 days and return if you don't like it um, away also offers free shipping and returns on any order within the contiguous united states europe canada and australia so to get your suitcase and shop other travel essentials, visit awaytravel.com slash TSS. That's awaytravel.com slash TSS. The link will be in the show notes. Okay, enough about me and my suitcase. Here's Taylor Rockwell talking to Yael Averbush. Joining me now at the Baltimore United Soccer Coaches Convention is Yael Averbush. Yael, thank you very much for taking the time. Somewhat early in the morning. It's early for me. I don't know if it's early for you. Yeah, no, no it's definitely early. If you leave the house before 10, that's early. Okay, I appreciate that sentiment because, yeah, it was was a little bit early, but now we're here. We've got coffee. We're good to go. Yeah, I have a big coffee. <laughs> I, I appreciated that. Um, we're recording this after the NWSL draft happened yesterday. You, I believe, were the fourth overall pick in 2009. What was your draft experience like? And for the people who were drafted yesterday, how quickly do you sort of transition into being a pro? Are you immediately in camp, like right away? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was actually, I felt emotional when I walked into the draft room yesterday because I remembered, you know, 2009, mm-hmm. my experience. I don't, I didn't actually go, so I ended up getting a phone call, but I think, like, nobody watched the draft or followed it, really, mm-hmm. and I think it was in kind of like almost a classroom type setting. It was definitely not anywhere near, the setup yesterday was very impressive. It looked super professional and exciting, mm-hmm. and so certainly it, it was a it was a nice moment for me to see how far it's come since mm-hmm. my time. Um, but I was obviously very excited to have the opportunity to uh, pursue my professional career, and you could see the same thing and the, the emotions of those players. But it's not really there's a little bit of lag time, so you you know you're going to be a pro and have that opportunity, and then you have a little time to actually it sinks in. And you got to prepare for preseason, and then it, mm-hmm. that's when it gets real. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard you talking about this on another podcast, which the name I cannot recall right now. I'll try to fill that in later. Um, but you were talking about like how rough preseason can be, and how you don't kind of want to give that away, though. You don't want to let people know you're hurting, even if it's like pretty pretty sore, pretty beat up. How sort of big of a transition is it from college preseason from college seasons into uh, a pro preseason and a pro season overall yeah you know it's just a really different it's a different type of um, intensity I would say a college preseason is often super intense and the college Mm -hmm. season itself is so intense just because it's in such a short period of time I think the pro level is intense but in a different way and there's a really um there's a really strong emphasis on being consistent over that amount of time. Mm-hmm. So what often happens to college players transitioning into the pro game, it's not so much the preseason, but it's that if they're about three months into the season, mm-hmm. they're kind of shot. Yeah. And then it takes time to adjust to like, whoa, we got to do another three months. And even at the end of the season isn't even that long here. You know, most pros in Europe and stuff are playing 10 months of the year. So it's just a, it's well, a, um, a lengthening of the intensity, I would say. So do you have advice for people who were drafted yesterday about maybe how they should approach preseason, about how they should prepare themselves for the relative longevity of the NWSL season? Yeah, so I think um, the big thing is if they have friends or people living near them who play in NWSL, mm-hmm. go, go train with them. Do their workouts because mm-hmm. those players know exactly what they're preparing for. And I think that's the most valuable thing you could do. Talk to a player 
who's going into the same preseason as you and say, what, what are you doing in your training? What do we need to be able to do? Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, it's also a mental adjustment. So mm-hmm. some of that just has to happen as you experience it. Yeah. But certainly asking questions and ramping up the intensity of your physical work, um, that's a big thing. If you don't go in fit enough, it's not only that you might not perform well on a beep test or something, but it's that you, you, your body can't handle it. You'll mm-hmm. get injured. So I think the fitter, the stronger you can be and the, the sharper with the ball, the better, obviously. But um, some of it you can't prepare for. <laughs> that makes sense. One of the things I feel like you couldn't prepare for, uh, I heard your interview on the Women's Soccer Spotlight, uh, was playing in Russia. And I wanted to ask a little bit more about that because I think that's where the interview ended was with your time in Russia, which sounded like one of the more bizarre experiences I can imagine. Yeah, you know what's really funny, um, and I, I'm uh, I'm very I'm all about full transparency, so uh-huh. I just share everything about my life. But uh, this experience in Russia, which was horrible, over time I've kind of like uh, I've retold the stories to a number of people. One uh-huh. because I don't want anyone else to go play in Russia, but also because they're it's pretty entertaining. But then actually, um, I've been going to therapy recently, and a big thing I've been delving into is like actually how scary and traumatizing that yeah. experience was in my life. Um, and it had nothing to do with the soccer. It was literally the first time in my life where I was like, whoa, I don't feel safe mm-hmm. and I don't know if everything's going to be okay. And it was a, a pretty um, pivotal period of my life and professional career. And so following that, my decisions on where to play and how to vet the situations were very different. <laughs> my, my wife and I uh, lived in northern Iraq for six months. So we had each other at least, but definitely had some of those same experiences of like, I, we're not maybe supposed to be here. How is that for you? I don't know what sort of support network you had. I don't know if your folks went with you or who was with you in Russia. But how were you able to sort of mentally deal with that and overcome that? Yeah, actually, I was with two other Americans, uh, Kia McNeil and Leanne Robinson. Mm. Yeah, Leanne, now Robinson. Um, and actually, no, her name, I, I messed that up. It used to be Leanne Robinson, but she's married and now it's Brown. But anyway, um, so we had each other, which mm. was very important. And I think, you know, the, the thing that struck me is that we're privileged here to know where to go if we need help and have some safe spaces Mm -hmm. and that doesn't exist everywhere else but really what we how we coped was we had a rule where only one of us could have a breakdown on any given day (laughs) so like if it was someone's day to have a breakdown like no one else could the other two had to be strong so that was the way we coped i shouldn't laugh at that i'm sorry but that is i appreciate the structure (laughs) i mean it was kind of funny but like it actually played out that way and it was a very important rule (laughs) so what would be the how would you all like cope did you have any sort of way of like uh mediating how like stressful it was was there like a specific spot in russia that you could go to like at least feel a little Uh, bit of a semblance of home or was it just getting on the plane i was only there for a month okay uh, and i left as soon as i was able to and they stayed a little bit longer i think that no there wasn't really a way to cope other than we had some sense of humor about it i'm actually i I need to look this up i have some journal entries Mm -hmm. we were kind of recording some things and you know, it was, it was really good. We had each other. We could talk about our personal mm. lives and just distract ourselves. But yeah, some of what we experienced was very strange. <laughs> you mentioned, so you mentioned your journal there. Uh, I, read, I read some of your blog. It seems like you uh, have that as an outlet uh, writing. Is that something you've always done? Is that something you want to continue to do going forward? Yeah, so my mom is an author uh, by trade. And it. so I grew up with being very verbal mm-hmm. and and just with writing being a part of the family anytime i used incorrect grammar i definitely heard about it and so even now in my, in my head if my i gal. say yeah if i say the <laughs> wrong thing i know i'm like oh gosh i gotta correct myself my mom would wouldn't like this but so um yeah writing and, and language has always been a way mm-hmm. that i've 
been comfortable expressing myself, but also kind of like learning about myself. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a way I organize my thoughts. So actually, my blog is probably 50% for the readers and 50% for me. <laughs> and quite often, I'll uh, feel better about a situation or have some clarity after I've written a blog um, in kind of a different way than I would have just thinking about it. Well, it, it's it's a great insight into like a lot of what you've experienced and then a lot of what maybe, maybe players can expect to experience Moving away from Russia, moving away from the blog for a moment, uh, I also, in, in the same podcast, I'm just going to keep quoting that podcast, uh, you talked about playing for Sporting KC under Vlatko, who is no longer the head coach of, uh, not Sporting KC, excuse me, uh, but I wanted to ask a bit more about Vlatko. You talked about his philosophy and style. What is it that makes him such a, a unique coach? What was it that yeah. you uh, enjoyed about him, if you enjoyed playing under him? Oh, I definitely enjoyed playing under him, mm-hmm. as, as do, I think, almost all the players yeah. who have played for him. Um, you know... And I think the reason is Vlatko's a player's coach. He's a player himself. He enjoys being out there, and he wants the environment to mm-hmm. be fun. Yes, he, he can be very hard on players. He does the nitty-gritty of the tactical analysis in the film. But at the end of the day, Vlatko uh, loves the game, and he loves making his players better. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, it was a really special kind of refreshing environment to play for him because it can be tough, you know, in the in the pro world. If you're not a starter, maybe you don't get the coach doesn't really pay attention to you, or if you, um, you know, practice can be really daunting. If maybe you don't feel good about your role in the team, but I think Flacco creates an environment where even if you're not happy with maybe your playing time or something like that or your role, um, it's enjoyable for everybody to play. Mm-hmm. And I really needed that in my career during the time I played for him. Um, but I think also Flacco, to me, is the best I've ever seen at translating manageable actions for players to Mm. improve like showing um, game tape and actually giving something that I feel like is a really feasible thing for a player to do next time in the same situation interesting and it's it's pretty rare because often that stuff can be very complicated and you watch and you're like okay well I don't know if I would make a different decision if I did that again but Vlaco's instruction in specific instances and ability to train players for game-like situations that actually do occur in Mm. in the game he'll say we're working on this because it'll happen two times this season and literally it will happen two times (laughs) in the season and so I've never had a coach who's able to um, prepare players for certain game type moments better than Laco. Is that like does he do that with a measure of patience because I imagine you could go that route of like sitting down and kind of patiently explaining but then I've also had coaches who are sort of like do it this is what you need to do here's the video what's what is his sort of approach to those moments um no I think Vlaco has a philosophy and has his certain uh principles of play Mm -hmm. and they're good Mm -hmm. he's he's (laughs) so good at what he's done he's so studied on the game that it's not a matter of that this is what he's telling you to do and forcing you to do. It's He shows you why it would be, mm-hmm. be a better decision for you. And so I think it's kind of like acknowledge that when Vlaco has done his homework and um, and laid out that whatever clips he picks, mm-hmm. there's a really specific purpose. And it's, um, it's a suggestion to make your job easier. And mm-hmm. quite often the suggestions I found to be easy to remember, easy to implement, and totally made sense. Hmm. Um, so I think it's not even... Um, it's not even the, one or the two of those. Yeah. It's kind of just like a whatever he says is true. That that is a very logical <laughs> answer, and probably the best po- possible answer because you want it to be kind of a blend of all of the approaches. Um, 
I'm not asking you to like bash Jill Ellis or anything like that, but I am wondering how different do you think the like the vibe will be with him in charge of the women's national team? What do you think camps will be like? Will they be roughly similar? Will there be noticeable differences with him now in charge? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I, I spoke to Vlaco a little bit um, surrounding, you know, when he took the job and I was... I, I talked to him, and I talked to him over the years about mm. how different he is as a coach than most of the coaches in our system. And I don't even think he really understands what makes him so different. But um, the national team environment is such a ruthless environment. And quite often, the coaches in the past have stoked that ruthlessness. Mm. It's, um, you know, I, I ruthless and competitive to the max, like beyond what you can even imagine and so intense and so I think that the coaches I experienced and and knowing Jill and how she ran the team I think it um it kind of went in line with that Vlatko himself that's not how he operates he he likes his group to be family he wants to really focus on enjoying the time um making his players better and he's a very very loyal coach like when he decides who his people are to go to battle with like he will help them get better at all costs he will um be loyal to the players he trusts so I think it will be really interesting and potentially a very a very good kind of way to balance out Mm -hmm. the natural intensity and ruthlessness of the program I think soccer wise on the field training sessions I can't imagine are going to be so different Mm -hmm. you know at the top level there's certain things you need to work on certain tactical principles you may tweak but it's not you're not there's nothing to reinvent there the team is super successful also I think he know he knows um how special the group is and I don't think would try to shake it up so much but I do think his personality as a coach Mm -hmm. will um, change the environment I'm believing in a positive way Mm -hmm. to kind of allow players to relax a little bit and just last thought on this that I had actually I was in Tampa for a day and I watched them play and I think the most important thing that a coach can do at that level is to help every single player to be at their best and then you pick whichever players fit the mold most mm-hmm. closely for your team. So rather than saying, oh, this player did better than someone else, no, it's everybody did their very best, but then what style of player do you want to pick for the roles? And I think that's the best possible scenario, and I believe that Vlaco will allow everyone to be their best, mm-hmm. and then he'll need to pick who you know fits what the team needs to win the games. With the kind of ruthlessness that exists within that team, I've never played at a very high level. I don't know if that's a very common thing, if that's a thing that players just sort of know to expect. Do you think he'll have a hard time changing that philosophy if you have it kind of embedded as like everybody's ruthless, everybody's really competitive, to go from that to we're all, we're all a family, we're all working together? Yeah, I don't think he should try to change that. Okay. I think his, his natural, his um, injection into that scene will soften it a bit, just naturally. But I think that's what makes the team special. Okay. Um, it just doesn't need to be exacerbated any more than it already is, I, mm-hmm. I believe, based on my personal experience. So I think that, um, I don't think he will actively change that. Mm-hmm. I just think his presence there is different than than that. Um but it's certainly what makes makes the team successful that to a large sense. extent. Uh, now, I've heard one major deficiency with with the national team is that they are not yet using technical football, or, or have they started using technical football? Yeah, it's they would have probably won every single World <laughs> Cup if they were. You know, they missed a couple in there. Like it's just two in a row now. But I think the streak would probably be at three or four if they had all been using technical football. Uh, so we are recording at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. I'm assuming you are uh, on your way to present. 
to showcase uh, Techni Football for people who aren't familiar. Can you talk a bit about it and, and what you're doing here? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually literally right after this going to do a presentation. Yeah, thank you for being here, by the way. Oh, no, no, that's good. But that's why we had to get up so early and meet at uh, 9.45. You know, it was tough. But um, I'm presenting uh, about how coaches can inspire their players to train on their own. And really, um, what I'm going to be talking about in this presentation is kind of my journey as a player and how that's reflected mm -hmm. in Techni Football, which is a training app. It's an individual training app for players that basically serves as their personal coach. And so there's um, the, the player-facing component, but then we also work with clubs and groups to offer the app to their players, but also make individual training part of their group culture, part mm -hmm. of what they offer. And is this, is this a product that you sort of were involved in from the beginning or were you sort of brought, like, did you come on board later on after it was already conceived and sort of underway? Yeah. So no, this, this is my baby. Okay. Uh, I, um, with my founding partner, uh, Sam Weber, uh, we, I told her about my idea. She had, uh, some wonderful connections of a developer and mm -hmm. literally we, I didn't take any funding. I got a first version made based on kind of, I have a YouTube channel and a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff on there, people wanted more and they wanted more serious progressions and ways to track. So I had this vision and we created a, the a bare minimum version of mm -hmm. like, I had to scale down. I didn't understand technology of how much this would have to be scaled down. But yeah, and that was three years ago. So as an active player, I launched the business. Mm -hmm. And then I now have a, a business partner who does all the development work and then two other members of the team who are all here with me. And so, um, yeah, we're moving right along. It's been a very fun and interesting puzzle. And I will be honest, I had no idea what I was doing. And launching a business. I didn't even know what, what a business was. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. It's, yeah. it's been an interesting process yeah. learning how to have a business. Yeah. Did you like, like, have to like, explain have an accountant that. and stuff? Yeah, I know. I'm like, thing? wait, what is this? Sales, product <laughs> management? I was like, well, I didn't even know what those things were before. I was like, people have a job. Like, what is that job? <laughs> so do you expect to continue to kind of build it out from here? Do you, are you going to launch your Techni Football Empire? Are there going to be more products on the way? Uh, not more products, but we are... Um, so this is long-term vision for me, mm -hmm. and I, I would say that the product itself, for me, of what I'm imagining it could be, is probably at like a 3 out of 10. Mm -hmm. So we, we literally work on it every single day. We work on the product, we work on our brand and what we're offering and being able to further um, support players along their journey mm -hmm. of achieving their goals. So there's... Um, if you saw our to-do list, that would answer the question for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate you taking the time, Yael. Uh, I, will, I will not take up any more so that you can go at least have a little bit of a breather before you have to present. But appreciate thank you very it. much for taking the time. Oh, thank you. Thank you.